0: You are listening to On the Daily, the RotoViz daily fantasy sports podcast, powered by RotoViz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle of the Action Network and RotoViz. Welcome to the April 21st, 2018 RotoViz Live edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of RotoViz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nickelodeus, uh, you can see here that I am not in my normal environment. I am in Texas, recording this using a hotspot
1: is my internet, Uh, so what could go wrong? How are you doing? (laughs) Exactly, what could go wrong? We've never had anything go wrong recording these uh, (laughs) podcasts before, so uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's early here in Vegas. I got up and made some coffee and... uh...
0: They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop.
1: Uh, gonna be a fun race, I think. Uh, it tends to be a bit of a action-less race for the Action Network uh, article. You can bet on uh, the picks there because uh, I think it's actually a really good week for the the model and the sim scores because it's an actionless race. But there's always action to be had over at the Action Network and at Rotaviz. So. Uh, cool article and, uh, cool models this week. I'm pretty excited for Richmond because, uh, well, one thing we didn't talk about in the midweek podcast is the predictability of the model. Um, it is 0. 0.633 this weekend. So very good. So pretty good. Uh, yeah. Put your faith in the model this weekend.
0: You know, one thing, uh, that you didn't mention while you were going on your little action rant over there, uh, you know, one of the nicknames for the Richmond raceway, uh, what would it be? Action track. That's right. That's right. So you know it's going to be a good race. Uh, Okay so we're recording this on Saturday morning. The race is later tonight so it's the first night race of the year. Uh, Qualifying and practice were yesterday. Uh, Based on what you saw in practice and qualifying specifically like any kind of like big picture things that we should be aware of before we get into stuff.
1: Yeah, I think there's one thing we really want to talk about. And um, a lot of drivers, a lot of good drivers ended up qualifying towards the back. Um, Kyle Busch was saving a little bit in the opening session and didn't realize he saved a little too much, right? He was trying to save tires for, for rounds two and round three of qualifying. Problem is he didn't get into round two of qualifying because he saved a little too much. So he's starting 32nd. You got Brad Keselowski starting 28th. You got Almirola's 25th, Soros 26th. A lot of big names back there, Um, Almdinger 33rd, for example, I mean, he's not necessarily a big name, but he's bigger than the Joe Dirt Cheap names, so uh, definitely an interesting qualifying session, but I wanted to compare Kyle Busch this week to Kevin Harvick last week. Uh, Last week, Kevin Harvick started dead last 39th uh, and was 10,500. There's a couple differences between Harvick last week and Kyle Busch this week uh, that I think we want to be aware of. So... Uh, again last week Harvick started 39th dead last this week and Kyle Busch starts only 32nd out of 38 cars so not dead last and uh you know that that does make a little bit of a difference he can only you know go from 32nd to first instead of 39th to first uh in terms of possible place differential potential also this track is more predictable and starting position matters more here than it does at Bristol where wrecks happen all the time and and, and crazy things can happen all the time uh so um, that played a little bit to Harvick's advantage in terms of place differential gain. The thing that was a disadvantage for for Harvick and at Bristol versus Kyle Bush here is the DNF rate is much higher at Bristol. So there was always also a very good chance of Harvick, uh, you know, crashing out or, or having some kind of problem at Bristol. Um, whereas this weekend at Richmond, it's much less likely that Kyle Bush will encounter major problems. Uh, you know, the DNF rate we said on average is somewhere between. 9 and 13% if you think the fall and spring races are different at Richmond. then maybe it's around 10% this weekend. Uh, so that does help Kyle Busch. But, uh, you know, the model only gives him a projected finish of 13.3. Uh, the median finish for him is 9.5. Obviously, the median higher than the mean because of, of the possibility for DNF. Uh, but if he makes it all the way up to that 9.5 finish 50% of the time, He still might not even be in the winning lineup just because he's $11,400. You'd probably need him to grab some fastest laps or laps led. So uh, I don't think he's a slam dunk this weekend in GPPs.
0: Uh, We talked about this um, on the midweek show, but I think it would be good to recap it here uh, just so we can kind of have that as a base moving forward for the questions. Uh, what are the, the the big picture metrics that you were looking at this weekend to judge how we might uh, evaluate these drivers?
1: Yeah, big picture. Um, starting position actually is one of the most important stats in the model. So uh, that goes in there and, and that's pretty easy metric to judge. Long run speed. So 10 lap average if you have that. Um, there was also, of course, 20 lap speeds posted on Fox, and uh, not as many drivers ran 20 laps, so it's a little bit harder to judge because you know we only have 10 20 lap times that we that uh, Fox posted on TV, and uh, so a little bit harder to judge. But we do know at least from the 20 lap times, uh, Kevin Harvick has an amazing car this weekend. Uh, you know, he was over a tenth, or he was exactly a tenth of a second quicker uh, per lap over those 10 over those 20 laps than the second place driver there. Uh, And then the other metrics we want to look at is quality pass percentage at Richmond in the past. So drivers pass six or eight Richmond races, what has been their quality pass percentage at Richmond? Uh, And that's because passing is hard at Richmond. It's a short flat track. And if you can make passes, that's much better, especially making passes inside the top 15, which is what quality pass percentage is. It's the percentage of passes you make that are inside the top 15. So Uh, those are what we really want to look at. And then year to date performance as well. Obviously we've now got uh, eight races under our belt, seven non-restrictor plate races. So we're really starting to build a sample size here.
0: All right. So a number of the questions that we have relate to Kyle Busch. So I think if we just sort of like knock Kyle Busch out of the way so we can get to the rest of the show, that would be a good thing to do. Like what – in terms of like a uh, single entry, or you know maybe like three max entry versus multi-entry GPPs, what is uh, do you think the best strategy for Kyle Busch?
1: Yeah, I actually think um, I like getting away from Kyle Busch even more, maybe in single entry or three max, just because I t- people tend to go with a comfortable lineup in those, and uh, you know I think m- his ownership percentage will probably be a little higher in single entry or three max versus multi-entry at the same stakes. Now obviously you can't compare a single entry at uh, $100 to multi-entry at at, at $5 or whatever, but uh, at the same stakes, I think Kyle Busch will be higher owned in single or three max than mass multi-entry possibilities. And that's because people tend to go with a more comfortable lineup and Kyle Busch starting 32nd is a very safe thing. Obviously he should move forward. Uh, So I actually like getting away from him more in single entry or three max, um, you know, maybe playing one Kyle Bush lineup in three max, maybe not playing him at all in single entry, uh, versus mass multi-entry, right? You can play a hundred lineups. And if you go 30, 35% on Kyle Bush, you're, you're probably going to be underweight to the field on him, but still have plenty of exposure to him. Okay.
0: Uh, so this is the time where I'm going to do the plug. Uh, the model, as you mentioned, is highly accurate this week. Uh, and, it is absolutely killing it so everyone if you aren't subscribing to Rotoviz, actually what am i talking about if you're watching this you're a subscriber that was yeah, the dumbest thing I've ever but audio. if you're listening if you're listening to the audio that's right you're not a subscriber so you can get a 30 percent discount to a special nascar pass through the nascar podcast homepage rotavis.com slash Podcast. with that pass you get unlimited access to all of the next premium nascar content and your subscription supports the pod also if you're subscribing to the nascar package and you have access to a lot of great tools and data for each race. With all of the research you are doing, you should place some NASCAR bets at mybookie.ag. They have a variety of future bets and head-to-head props for each race. Uh, as Nick mentioned, uh, the model is very good and it has identified a slew of props this week. Uh, so I actually just uh, finished putting action on those right before we started recording this. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, Denny Hamlin, check out the props. Uh, the MyBookie NASCAR futures and props are fun, and they are a great way to leverage the road of the subscription and supplement your NASCAR DFS action. Uh, so join now, and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus with the promo code NASCAR. Uh, so MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, and you get paid. Uh, okay, Nick. Actually, I have a question. Uh, you had talked to me earlier off air about um, using props in some of the, the NASCAR bets to supplement your DFS action. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's kind of like a, a strategy that people can
1: use. Yeah, well, so it's funny, because like when you play DFS, uh, a lo- you're looking for different things that go into successful you know, slates or whatever in DFS versus in betting. Um, you, you're, you're kind of looking for different things as well because a lot of the, the prop bets are head-to-head. So you're just looking at who's going to finish higher. You're not necessarily looking at, am I getting place differential, right? So uh, in a situation, maybe you have um, Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin neck-and-neck. Neck, like, like, hypothetically, let's say you had Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin neck-and-neck neck this weekend in finishing position. Uh, that might make for an interesting prop bet if Denny Hamlin's plus 150 and Kyle Busch is minus one, whatever. Uh, you know, then it makes a lot of sense to bet Denny Hamlin But in DFS, if they're neck and neck in finishing position and Kyle Busch is starting 32nd and Danny Hamlin starting 4th, it doesn't quite make as much sense to play Hamlin unless you think he can dominate as well. So, uh, yeah, because of the place differential aspect of it. So um, it's a really cool way to get uh, some additional exposures to drivers you maybe don't have as much exposure to because they're starting forward-forward or because you don't think they'll dominate or different things like that. Uh, And... There's a, for just a variety of props. Um, there's there's props, like we said, head-to-head. Sometimes there's finishing position props. You know, we finish over or under a certain position. Um, there's obviously bets to win. So I d- definitely, I like to maybe pick four or five props every weekend, um, bet some of those, and then uh, very often I will pick maybe anywhere between three and five drivers to win, Um you know that I like. I think have very good odds, and I'll and I'll bet them obviously on a much smaller scale because uh, it's less likely you're going to pick the win than you know, something that's essentially a fifty fifty proposition weighted towards one side or the other. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, what I like to do there is maybe pick three drivers that have kind of medium. Long ish odds, you know, plus five, six, eight hundred, nine hundred, twelve hundred, or longer. And then uh, occasionally I'll take like one of the or one or, th- uh, or two of the favorites. So last weekend at Bristol, I took both Kyle Bush and Kyle Larson and parlayed them uh, with one of my prop bets so that, um, you know, instead of really short odds on getting like plus 250 on Kyle Bush, all of a sudden you're parlaying it with a prop bet that you're very confident in. You can turn that plus 250 and really like uh, essentially a plus six or $700 um, bet with a very confident prop bet. So it's just a nice way to gain exposure um, to some other drivers you don't necessarily get exposure to in DFS as well. And uh, very often it makes up for my small DFS losses on uh, you know, the lose small win big.
0: All right, uh, let's get into it. So uh, we have a question about dominators and mixing and matching. Uh, what percent of lineups are you looking for two dominators versus three dominators?
1: Yeah, Richmond is interesting because um, not as many cautions as you know a place like Bristol, which means there's often less shakeup in, in strategy or in lineups. So I think two dominators makes a lot of sense, especially with some of the place differential guys we have in the back, like Keslaski, Kyle Bush, Almarola, who are pretty expensive. Uh, so I think in this case, mostly two dominators with some three dominators sprinkled in. Um, I guess there could be some situations. Maybe you even just think Truex just leads like three hundred and fifty laps. Right? He's starting on the pole. Uh, we've seen Truex do that before. Usually more at mile and a half, though. But uh, I'd say mostly two with some three dominators. And uh, maybe if you want to sprinkle in a Truex-only lineup or, or you know for dominators, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it if you're multi-entering. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: Here's an interesting question. Uh, a number of drivers are showing high variance between practice one and two uh, based on their 10 lap averages. Uh, So Ty, Reagan, Busher, Jones, how do you think we should interpret that information?
1: Yeah, I think um, obviously, you know, practice conditions were changing. Um, You know, they were Couple hours apart, and uh, you know, as the day goes on, the track changes, especially a track like Richmond, where it's uh, an asphalt track instead of a concrete track. But we even saw last weekend, um, you know, at, at Bristol, the track conditions changed from the 60 degree day to the 40 degree day. So, you know, I do think there was changing track conditions, and even if you just look at practice, too, the track conditions were changing. Uh, all the drivers who ran their 10 lap average early uh, tended in general to be slower than the drivers who ran their 10 lap average later in the session. So track conditions are getting better. Uh, and it makes sense because, you know, this is a night race. So you want to be closer to the night and, uh, you know, the the practice session was kind of getting closer towards, uh, towards, you know, later in the day there. So, uh, the second practice session. So, Uh, I do think we want to focus more on second practice. When I threw uh, both first and second practice and in the past, Richmond's also had a third practice. When I threw final practice and second to last practice into the model, only final practice, uh, long run speed popped up. So I still want to focus on final practice. For example, a guy like Denny Hamlin, he hated his car in opening practice. And, uh, you know, he had a very slow 10 lap average, but Uh, they made some major changes to that car at the beginning of second practice. You know, he was still junk at the beginning of second practice, made some major, major changes. And then all of a sudden he was happy with his car and uh, it showed him the 10 lap speed. He posted the second best 10 lap average. So um, that's kind of where his car ended up. And that's you know probably where it'll be to start the races is closer to that. So I put much more stock in the second practice. Luckily with a lot of the top guys, they're all pretty close. I mean, you got Larson, Truex, Kyle Busch, Keselowski, um, you know, Elliot, they're all, they're all kind of consistently in the top eight or so uh, in both of those practice sessions for 10 lap average. So um, at least with the big names, it, it's pretty consistent with us with the smaller names. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit tougher to gauge. Uh, and, and so I think I just kind of tend to default towards second practice, but then there's also other things besides practice, right? We still want to look at their track history. We want to look at their year to date driver rating. We want to look at, um, you know, their starting position and things like that. And that will help us determine their range of outcomes.
0: What are your thoughts on Harvick starting 10th? And what are the odds
1: that he has to dominate? Um. So, yeah, it's interesting because Harvick starts 10th. It is a track that uh, is pretty difficult to pass at. And, um, you know, Harvick does actually have the best quality pass percentage at Richmond among active drivers over the past eight Richmond races. So that's a very good thing for him. He posted the best 20-lap average, as we talked about, and it wasn't really close. He specifically mentioned uh, that, you know, this is the best car he's had at Richmond in years. So when he's happy, he's fast. So I do think there's a very good chance for Harvick to dominate this weekend. Uh, It's just going to – I don't think it'll be right away. You know, I think Martin Truex Jr. will lead a lot of the opening stint uh, if he doesn't, you know, maybe it's either Chase Elliott or Joey Lagan or Denny Hamlin or Kyle Larson, who's just starting two, three, four, five, six, you know, or two, three, four, five, those drivers that I mentioned, uh, maybe one of them end up dominating. Kurt Busch is always faster. He's starting six. So it's not going to be easy for Harvick to get to the front, um, you know, even though he does have a very fast car. And he's a good play in GPPs just because he'll rack up a lot of fastest laps. Um, he could rack up some laps lead if he does end up leading. Uh, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't go crazy on Harvick this weekend. Even though I did write him up as a good GPP play, uh, I still think because of his $11,200 salary and all of the good drivers in front of him and the fact that they haven't had the best pit crew uh, this year, um, those are some detractions from Harvick. So if the model projects him around 30% ownership. I like that exposure to Harvick, maybe 30%, 35% uh, if you want to be just a touch overweight relative to what the model thinks he's going to be owed.
0: Okay, uh, I think another good question here. Uh says so the TV guys mentioned lots of fresh tires in the back
1: rows. What are they talking about? How does this impact EFS? Um, I don't think it's a huge impact, but yeah, obviously if you, if you qualify, remember you have to start the race in your qualifying tires. So if you qualify in the back, you only did the first round of qualifying. If you qualify it in the middle, you got to, you know, if you start between 13th and 24th, you also did the second round of qualifying. And if you start in the top 12, you also did the third round of qualifying. So that's just more laps on your tires. Uh, and at Richmond, a lot of tracks they just make one qualifying lap in a session and then come off the track and, and hope they made it into the next round uh, at Richmond. Sometimes you see drivers do two, three, occasionally even four laps in a in a round of qualifying just because it's such a short 0.75 mile five mile track uh, and the tire wear isn't super great over that little distance that often you can get a better lap on your second lap or sometimes even your third lap. But when you start to do that over three sessions, all of a sudden you got eight nine ten laps on your tires. Uh, it's much different than having two or three laps on your tires if you qualified near the back. I don't think it's a huge deal because you know I don't think uh, a driver like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in twelfth has to worry about being passed by Kyle Busch in 30 seconds. Uh, you know, very early it's going to be hard to pass. So I actually think it's uh, you know maybe TV made a bigger deal of it than it than it really should be. I'm not really focused on tires too much. You know, maybe maybe somebody like Stenhouse it kind of sucks for him because he's starting twelfth and then immediately behind him 13, 14, 15, 16, et cetera They have fresher tires uh but you know when you're looking at somebody like seventh on up eric jones on up you're really not uh too worried about those drivers getting passed by by you know a guy like um maybe david reagan in 15th or, or clint boyer in 16th or jimmy johnson in 17th yes they have fresher tires but they still are gonna have to get like 10 drivers forward to pass uh you know to pass eric jones
0: okay so this this question is one of my own uh so you have a primer a track type primer on the site, and it's great. Everyone should consult it. My question is, uh, with the, the short flap tracks, uh, there's the enhanced possibility of drivers, especially drivers near the back of the field, being lapped. Can you talk about that dynamic within the race and then what that means, like the extra difficulty of what that means for drivers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, we kind of saw the same thing last weekend in terms of Bristol, it's a half mile, just over a half mile track. There's a very real possibility of being lapped pretty quickly. Uh, at Richmond, I think it's, um, you know, maybe a little harder for the leader to, to lap drivers just because a, it's bigger than Bristol, uh, by, uh, you know, about a quarter of a mile. B it's a short flat track. So it's a little harder to pass than it is maybe at Bristol, especially if that second line came in at Bristol, um, And so, you know, the slow cars will be slow cars. They'll get passed pretty quickly. You know, Harrison Rhodes will get passed pretty quickly. Reed Sorensen will get passed pretty quickly. Those guys. But, uh, you know, I I do foresee, of course, Kyle Busch moving forward, Kozlowski moving forward. I'm not really worried about those guys getting lapped, even with a long green flag run, because, uh, you know, we're going to maybe have a caution in the first stage. There's still stages, uh, and and these drivers are fast. So uh, I I guess the big concern with Richmond is – Few cautions then at a place like Bristol. So there maybe is a maybe slightly more possibility we get a really long green flag run and just run that whole first stage to completion. Uh, then you're talking, you know, Kyle Busch is already starting 32nd, maybe works his way up to the top 15 or so. Uh, but by that time, you know, Truex has probably lapped 10 or 15 cars already. So then you're talking only 25th, 20th places on the lead lap. But I think drivers like Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski will be okay. Maybe it's the Daniel Suarez's or the AJ Allmendingers or, or some of those medium names starting back there, you maybe are a little more worried about than normal. Uh, but uh, I, I don't, you know, as far as like the big names, I'm not worried the medium names, maybe just a touch of worry, but uh, I, I think it'll, I think it'll work itself out. It's a long race.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So someone's asking a question. Is there anyone that had a good
0: long run speed in practice, but not a good single lap speed and that we could exploit uh, their ownership percentage? And I guess I should add, there's the assumption here that the market is valuing 10-lap versus single-lap differently, and so I'd also like to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, um, so I guess you know there's a couple drivers that stand out, at least in terms of like, difference between short and long run speed. I'm kind of going to flip this around. Uh, Bubba Wallace, Daryl Wallace Jr., had the second best single-lap speed in final practice, but he was uh, essentially, of the drivers that made 10-lap averages, he was fourth worst. So uh, if people are looking at a single lap speed and overvaluing that that's a driver to get away from conversely and maybe similar with jamie mcmurray jamie mcmurray had the you know the third best single lap speed and and that's because these dri- these drivers made qualifying laps you know uh because practice two was very close to qualifying they all did not all but many of them did their qualifying laps in practice two uh, and so set a very fast lap in practice too, just because they, you know, they were in qualifying trim. Not every driver did, right? Harvick didn't go into qualifying trim. Uh, Chase Elliott didn't go into qualifying trim. Several drivers didn't go into qualifying trim. And in that case, um, you know, they'll be lower down in the single lap speed than in the 10 lap speed. So a driver like Kevin Harvick, for example, um, and, and even with Harvick, it's even better because you know, you're seeing 27th and single lap, you're seeing 10th and 10 lap uh, speed but what you're really looking at is that 20 lap speed. He was number one. So, and that doesn't even show up in the statistics that NASCAR puts out, uh, publicly. Uh, obviously Fox displayed that on TV because they get an extra set of stats for, for their purposes and they display that on TV. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's one way to, to exploit, but, uh, um, I would kind of go the other way and say, don't play Darrell Wallace Jr. Don't necessarily play Jamie McMurray. And the other thing with Jamie McMurray, uh, which I wrote up about in the article is he was not happy with this car in final practice. Uh, so I don't love playing a driver who is not happy with the car, uh, even though he posted a very lap, very fast single lap speed, he did not post a 10 lap average. And usually not always, but usually that's a bad sign. Um, it could go the other way. Sometimes uh, there there's cases where you're so happy with your car in final practice that you just bring it in after three or four laps because you know it's good. Uh, the other alternative is you don't make a 10-lap run because um, you keep changing things every three or four laps because you're not happy with the car. In this case, Jamie McMurray was very loose in final practice.
0: Interesting stuff there. Uh, did you go back to that question? Uh, single lap versus 10-lap average, how do you – how do you think the market is at evaluating those and I guess using those
1: to make decisions? Yeah, it it definitely varies race to race in terms of how good the market is. And that's because single lap versus 10 lap uh, matters differently from race to race. And I think people generally look at 10 lap, but also consider single lap. Um, I know plenty of people still do use single lap speed. And I think it's a, it's a flaw, especially at track like Richmond where there's not many cautions uh you know most of these are long green flag runs so long speed's going to matter a lot more um but obviously at tracks where single lap does factor in you know at a track <clears throat> excuse me track like um atlanta or bristol uh where you know if you get a late restart and, and tires matter so much how are you going to do there um it, it, it it's not necessarily overvalued by the public, so. Uh, I think in general, single lap speed is is definitely overvalued. Uh, I think at a place like Richmond, it could actually be overvalued a little bit more because there aren't as many cautions.
0: Interesting. Uh, Okay, Uh, we have a question about Paul Menard. And anytime we get a question, we are contractually obligated to uh, answer it about Paul Menard. So uh, he has bad track history. What are the chances he bucks that history?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, he has bad track history. He also raced for a lesser team those past several years in Richard Childress Racing. Uh, so he does get an equipment upgrade. But um, you know, I don't I'm not in love with Paul Bernard anyway. This isn't a super great track for him as mentioned, even with the you know, the the RCR history, because you compare him to his RCR teammates, Austin Dillon, Ryan Newman, nowhere near as good as those drivers were at Richmond in the past. Now you look in this weekend, he's in better equipment, but if you look at those 10 lap speeds and you look at the drivers that made their laps later in the session. Uh, He was the slowest of all of the drivers that made their laps later in the session in 10 lap average. So uh, I'm not a huge fan of Paul Menard this weekend. Um, Yeah, I think it's uh, probably a mistake. It's not his best track. And he also didn't post a a 10 lap average that I I like, especially being later in the session. Okay. Newman versus Boyer. Uh, That's a really good question. Uh, Ryan Newman model projects him to finish 13.6 13.6 boyer model projection to finish 12.2 you look at their upside for example if you use the uh the, the sim scores i know um uh, boyer's sim scores actually uh you know are very good the upside of seventh and i'm kind of stalling here because i'm trying to check ryan newman's sim scores <laughs> but uh let me flip over here to ryan newman um yeah Eighth in terms of ceiling and Boyer seventh. Median projection, Boyer definitely takes the cake over Newman. Model likes him. Sim scores like him. I like Boyer over Newman. And Boyer is uh, $100 cheaper. I think this is a very good track for Clint Boyer uh, as well. So, um, you know, really all the stats are saying Clint Boyer versus Ryan Newman. I mean, you look at 10-lap average in final practice, it's definitely Boyer over Newman. Uh, You look at at track history, I guess Newman gets the edge in – quality pass percentage if I remember correctly but it's pretty close so I think overall Boyer especially for a hundred dollars cheaper but uh, you know there's probably going to be an ownership percentage difference Boyer will probably be 30 percent owned ballpark 25 to 30 percent owned Ryan Newman will probably be 10 to 15 percent owned so um, in that case I don't hate being like 25% 25% on Boyer and, and 15% on Newman, you know, maybe the upper end of Newman's range and the lower end of Boyer's range because they're probably not as far apart as uh, the market will be in, in GPPs.
0: Okay, uh, with this being a relatively low DNF track, Should we exploit ownership by fading some of the back markers and focusing on track position as opposed to place differential?
1: I think that's a great question because a lot of times we say, should we exploit ownership because it's going to be a crazy race and it's unpredictable and people will be too confident. Uh, This is a different way to exploit ownership because a lot of the ownership will be concentrated in the back, but track position is very important. It's hard to pass here. All of the stats that show up in the model essentially say the same thing, right? Quality pass percentage matters because it's so hard to pass. So if you can do it, that's awesome starting position matters, right? So uh, a lot of the things are, are saying the same thing, the low DNF rate. So I do think it's a good weekend to avoid the Joe Dirt cheaps because they're not going to move forward and there's not going to be many drivers that fall out of the race. So uh, it's a great race to avoid the Joe Dirt Chiefs. As far as the drivers like, you know, your Kyle Bush's and your Brad Keselowski's, we talked about this, especially with Kyle Busch off the top. Yeah, I don't mind being underweight on Kyle Busch. He's not going to dominate he's $11,400, right? Uh, I don't mind being underweight on him. That said, you still want exposure to him because it is a safe play. He could move forward, finish fifth, could move forward, win. You never know. Um, so you definitely want your exposure to Kyle Bush, But I certainly like maybe being a little underweight on some of these drivers back here. Uh, they're great for cash game plays. And it's a great way to kind of, air quote, hedge your bet is to be a little underweight on, on your cash game plays and GPPs. Uh, if they have a great day then you, you did very well in cash and if they have a bad day you probably still didn't get hurt in cash because everybody's playing them in cash and you get some leverage in gpps and that's kind of the way i like to place these races
0: okay uh out of these three potential dominators can you rank elliot logano and
1: denny hamlin yeah this is a this is a really good question because i actually think it, you can throw in kyle larson right there starting two three four five it's super tough uh to, to kind of split hairs between these drivers the model likes Elliott in terms of laps led but not fastest laps i think that makes sense he could get the jump over Truex on the initial opening start it's unlikely but he could uh he showed pretty fast speed in both uh practice sessions in terms of 10 laps so um that's a good sign for chase elliott just because he's starting so forward you know he could get out front based off of pit stops things like that um but overall he doesn't project well it's not been a great track for him and he was slower than you know kyle larson and denny hamlin by like seven tenths of a second or seven tenths of a mile an hour in 10 lap average so i'm not going to rank him first i'm going to rank uh, denny hamlin first just by virtue of the fact that uh you know he and kyle larson were essentially splitting hairs kyle larson probably has a little bit higher dnf rate although hamlin probably has a little bit higher uh Pit issue rate, <laughs> given all the speeding penalties he seems to acquire, uh, but uh, I'm going to give Denny Hamlin just a slight nod because he's a better flat track driver than Larson. I know a lot of people are on Larson this weekend. I just tend to like Hamlin just a touch more than Larson. So I'm going to go Hamlin one, Larson two. From there, I'm going to go Chase Elliott three, just because of starting position over Logano four. But I again, I really like Logano at this track. Uh, I wrote him up. I think uh, the Action Network about a pick the win. And um, I I do like him a lot at this track. So uh, it's close between Elliott and Logano, but I'm going to give Elliott the nod just because of pit stall preference versus Logano. Not that it's a huge deal, but at a shorter track with smaller pit boxes, it maybe makes a little bit of a difference. And just because he could potentially get the initial jump over Truex. Uh, And if he has a better car than Truex on the opening stint, it's a little bit easier as well. So I'm going to go Elliott three, Logano four, but again, one and two uh, of those drivers, Hamlin and Larson are very close. Three and four, I think Elliot and Lugano are very close. Okay, someone's asking about Almendinger versus Casey Kane. Uh Almendinger versus Kane, I think um, you know, both are both are fine plays. Almendinger starts 33rd, Kane Kane starts 29th. Kane actually showed up pretty well in a lot of the numbers that we look for, the, the, the quality pass percentage at Richmond. Uh you know, it was even better than some of his Hendrick teammates, like like uh, Chase Elliott. So I know it's kind of inflated from, from being at Hendrick, but when you compare him to his Hendrick teammates, he actually was better than them uh, in quality pass percentage at Richmond. So I do like Kane. I like him in cash. I like him in GPPs. Uh, I'm going to go with Casey Kane, although Almendinger is not a bad play as well. Um, pretty good at the flat tracks, but uh, Richmond hasn't been his best track. However, he's still uh, inside the top 25, and he's starting 33rd. So, um, you know, they're, they're pretty close. I think Kane might draw a little bit higher ownership than Almendinger. So if you want to exploit them in GPPs and maybe go a little closer, uh, in in ownership, then, uh, that's fine. But I prefer Kane anyway. Okay.
0: Uh, a two part question. So someone says MDB sim scores are pretty good. The first question is, can you talk about him in relation to pump plays? The second question is, what do you think the odds are that I know who
1: MDB is? (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's, uh, obviously Matt Benedetto there. Um, I guess they like, you know, I guess the SIM scores like Matt Benedetto because his 10 lap average was, was better than David Reagan's, AJ Elmdinger's, Daniel Suarez, Daniel Hemrick, Ty Dillon, bubble up, you know, and then some of the other back markers there. Um, so I guess that's why Matt DiBenedetto, uh, you know, at least in terms of the SIM scores shows up pretty well. So if you, if you look at his SIM scores, it says his ceiling 16, median 24. If you remove DNFs, if you include DNFs not as good 21 30 and 39 um so you do want to include DNFs because DNFs do happen at richmond um they're not as many and uh, i think it's probably uh, it's probably overkill with the benedetto there because they're comparing to a lot of back who maybe start and park so um i kind of split the difference between the yes and the no dnf with with matt de benedetto on the sim score so maybe a ceiling instead of 21st with DNFs and 16th with it off is, you know, 18 and a half or something. Maybe his median instead of uh, 30 versus 24 Maybe it's like 25 or 26. So that's kind of what I would do with Matt Benedetto. You want to make sure you turn on DNFs uh, to kind of get the fuller picture But in this case, I think the sim scores are pulling in a lot of those super back markers Which really isn't fair to Benedetto. So um, I would give maybe more weight to the no DNF uh, sim scores in this case um if if that's the case here you know Matthew benedetto qualified 27th i think he's a fine play and the model only projects him at 6.5 6.6% ownership you want to go 15% on on 10 to 15% on DiBenedetto, benedetto i have no problem with that uh i think it's fine uh, you just have to remember there's drivers starting behind him like brad kaslaski and uh, kyle bush that could be faster than him but you know if he's faster than daniel soros and bubba uh, I have no problem with that. Uh, I just don't think, you know, he's going to be a driver that drives his way through the field here at Richmond. So um, also, he tends to be a better steep track driver than flat track driver. So I wouldn't go crazy on Di Benedetto, but uh, I don't mind if you want to be a little overweight on him.
0: Uh, someone has a question about negative correlation between any of the dominators. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously, we think Martin Truex Jr. will dominate um, being the pole sitter. And then there's probably going to be a second dominator. Um, you know, my opinion, it's either going to be Larson or Hamlin. I don't actually think they're negatively correlated because there's 400 laps. They both could end up dominated. Uh, what I think is like when you get to kind of the third or fourth dominator, it's pretty unlikely that you get four dominators or if, if they're lesser dominators that they both end up dominating. So that's where we start to see negative correlation. So drivers like Chase Elliott and Joey Logano, I think are maybe a bit negatively correlated. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody like if you think um, – you know, either Kurt Busch or Eric Jones or, or Brad Kislowski, right. Starting way back there, or Kyle Busch, they're probably the third or fourth or fifth options. Uh, they're probably negatively correlated, you know, with, with Lugano and Elliot as well. I do think it's true X uh, one and then Hamlin and Larson splitting hairs for, for two and three, in my opinion, um, where you're probably not getting negative correlation because they're the most likely dominators and you're probably not going to see a one dominator race. So uh, you know, I think there's not necessarily negative correlation between those drivers.
0: Okay. We have a question on Larson. It says, uh, thoughts on the speed Larson showed in final practice, the broadcast made it sound as if he was
1: in race trim the entire time and still faster than those in qualifying trim. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was in uh, you know, in qualifying trim, but, uh, I guess, you know, his, his fastest lap was lap 32, uh, which was when he was in the middle of his 10 lap average there. So, um, maybe it was a race trim lap, but he does seem pretty fast. And, uh, you know Denny Hamlin same thing his fastest lap was right there in the middle of his 10 lap average it actually came uh, later in in, in his 10 lap average than in in Larson's so maybe Hamlin has the better long run car versus Larson and Larson maybe has the better short run car might be a way you kind of split them up because Larson uh, his was his was lap 32 and he started his 10 lap average on 29 so that's four laps into his 10 lap average Denny Hamlin His was seven laps into his 10-lap average was his fastest. So, um, you know, and that was – that ended up being their fastest laps of the whole practice session uh, was Larson four laps into his 10-lap average and Hamlin seven laps into his 10-lap average. So uh, maybe you kind of say, yeah, Larson is a super-fast car and he can move forward, and that's why I think he's a very likely dominator. Same with Hamlin. I think maybe over the longer run, I prefer Hamlin over the shorter run. I prefer Larson. Uh, but this place does tend to play out as long runs. So maybe you prefer Denny Hamlin a little bit more to Kyle Larson.
0: Okay. How much stock are you putting into Kyle Busch's comments about his car at the end of final practice? It sounded like he wanted more
1: out of his car. Yeah, he absolutely sounded like he wanted more out of his, out of his car. Uh, that was something I, I what meant to mention at the top of the show when we talked about him, but forgot to was He wasn't super happy with this car. Um, He said it was good. He said it wasn't great. They made some progress, but, uh, it wasn't where he wanted it to be. So, uh, given that he's starting 32nd, he has to drive through the field. It's tough to pass here. He wasn't necessarily the happiest with his car. Maybe that's a recipe for fading. you know, just another reason to fade Kyle Busch here, especially given his price tag and all that. So when I say fade, I mean, underweight, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, obviously, in a single entry, it, I, I think it's good to be away from Kyle Bush, Even in three max, maybe one Kyle Bush entry top, something like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a, another good reason to be underweight on Kyle Bush. Absolutely.
0: Okay. We have two McDowell questions, which I really love. Uh, one, the simple version is, is McDowell cash game playable? The uh, more emotional version is, McDowell took a
1: sledgehammer to my bankroll last week. Do I forgive and forget? <laughs> that's pretty funny uh way to put it um but uh, i think mcdowell is cash game playable he starts 24th he's 5200 dollars of these like super joder cheap you know under 5500 drivers he's easily the best easily the fastest um you look at him you know versus matt benedetto we talked about benedetto's 10 lap average mcdowell's 10 lap average was way better than all of those drivers and he made his early in the session so he could be even faster maybe than somebody like paul menard for example so uh I actually do like McDowell this weekend, and I think you can play him in both formats uh, and you know after he took a sledgehammer your bankroll last weekend, it really wasn't his fault. Um, he got caught up in one of those incidents uh, at Bristol that just happens these multi car incidents and he was starting ninth so that 's what happens when you start inside the top ten at Bristol sometimes uh, you go backwards if he had avoided all the issues, given how good his car was, he could have had a top five at Bristol he just didn't avoid all the issues that 's Bristol baby so um, this weekend, I feel much more comfortable with McDowell than I did last weekend, but I did have, I was just a touch overweight on McDowell last weekend as well. So I definitely feel the pain. Uh,
0: okay. Are there any punts, uh, who are cash game playable?
1: Uh, I guess McDowell at 5,200, right? I mean, that's yeah. essentially a punt, but, uh, he's the one I think is cash game playable. I don't mind if you use Di Benedetto and GPPs, um, Ty Dylan, $5,600. I guess that kind of counts as a punt. I think he's cash game playable, but uh, I think I'd rather just have McDowell at a low DNF track for $400. Uh, yeah. All
0: right. I, I think we've uh, we've hit our questions. Are there any other kind of big picture things that you think people should think about maybe in terms of like particular drivers or strategy? Uh, for uh, people creating their lineups.
1: Yeah. So this maybe doesn't apply as much as Rich- at Richmond as it did at a track like Bristol last weekend. But, you know, we haven't mentioned driver a lot of drivers. We haven't mentioned Jimmy Johnson. We haven't mentioned Austin Dillon. We haven't really mentioned Eric Almola a lot. Maybe a little bit like him and Daniel Suarez at the beginning when I said they qualified near the back and they will be popular plays. Um, we haven't really mentioned certain drivers, right? So these drivers possibly could go under own. Jimmy Johnson projects at 12.5% ownership. I might like being a little overweight on Johnson just because he's Jimmy Johnson. He's pretty good. Uh, it makes more sense at Bristol, right? He was projected at like 10 or 12% ownership and he was 11% owned versus Jimmy Johnson, 11% owned at Bristol makes no sense. So, um, just think about some of the drivers we haven't talked a lot about that could be very good. Uh, and maybe, maybe go a little over on them as well. We didn't give the Paul Menard pick of the week. Everybody always asks for who's your GPP special pick of the week. Um, I do kind of think maybe it is Jimmy Johnson. And so that's kind of why I wanted to mention that is uh, 12.5% ownership projection for Johnson. Get 20% exposure to him or something like that. I think it'll be fine. The the Chevys look good this weekend. You know, Chase Elliott qualified second. Very good 10 lap average. Uh, William Byron's looks strong this weekend. I wrote him up in my article. Uh, and, uh, you know, Alex Bowman right up there. So I think there's no reason to be scared of Jimmy Johnson in terms of a, a team perspective. And it's just a matter of will he race better? You know, he and Clint Boyer appear sort of neck and neck, I guess. Um, obviously, Boyer appears better in the model and uh, is, is cheaper. But I do think, you know, Boyer at 30% versus Johnson at 12.5% uh, might be too wide of a gap as well. Don't get me wrong. I really like Clint Boyer this weekend. I think he's a very good play. But uh, Johnson is just a driver that kind of I keep coming back to. Like, everybody dislikes him for some reason these days. And, uh, yeah, I think eleven and a half, twelve and a half percent percent is too low on him.
0: Uh, okay. Nick, anything else we should talk? It's Saturday, What you know, the race is tonight. What are you doing till then? And then what are you planning on doing tomorrow with your yeah, day?
1: so actually um, I, I volunteer at a, a homeless youth shelter here in Nevada. So I'm gonna go make food for them after uh, I get showered up and changed and all that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not playing this weekend. I'm taking this weekend off from DFS, but I'll be back next weekend to play for sure. And then Sunday, what am I going to do Sunday? I actually have no idea. I'll probably hang out with my wife. Um, That would be a nice thing to do.
0: All right. Uh, That's going to do it for this Rotoviz live edition of On The Daily. For Nick and on Twitter at RotoDoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.
1: Technology truths brought to you by Geico. Technology truths. Truth: Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis.
0: How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball. Pineapple? Truth!
1: It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com.
0: What are you talking about? Paperclip,
1: shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.